0: Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. I know you're probably getting worried if we'll ever have sermon notes again, but uh, I promise you uh, that's not my intention to leave a blank sheet for you there, but uh, it is much more important for me to make sure I have God's Word and to feel confident about that than to make sure you have notes. So um, if you need the notes... Why don't you email me this week, and I'll make sure you get a copy of them, word for word, okay? But um, we're going to start this morning in Matthew 28. I want to take us there. A very familiar passage. We've talked about it a number of times because we have been having these conversations with you again and again about the importance of growing up as disciples, but also learning how to make other disciples of Jesus as well. It's part of our mission here at Trinity. We've rolled that out for you. Our mission is to make disciple makers who are committed to gathering for the teaching of the word, for prayer, for worship and fellowship, which is what we're doing this morning, but also committed to scattering so that we can uh, serve others, we can minister, and we can proclaim the gospel uh, from Western Florence to the rest of this world. That's our call. That's what we're shooting for as a congregation, what we're trying to grow up. Uh, All of us into and so as your pastor, I have lots of hats that I wear throughout the week There's the administrator hat and i'm trying to uh, make sure there's a newsletter or sermon notes or whatever else it is There's the uh, I evaluated our staff this week. So I was an administrator this week Um, And all those things are fine. It's just part of work But the things that really get me up in the morning the things that I roll out of bed for things that I love I love doing this. I love preaching. I love teaching the word of god Uh, I tell our elders, I would do this for free. All the other stuff is what you pay me for. And uh, you pay me very well to do all of that stuff, which is good. Uh, but I would do this part for free. The other thing that I just love to do that I really is close to my heart is just spurring you on to love and good deeds, helping you walk in all the fullness of what God has called you into. I feel like a lot of times I'm part coach, right? I'm part basketball coach trying to call in the plays, trying to spur you on to perform well. I'm, I'm part cheerleader trying to uh, get you across the finish line, help you with your endurance in the Lord. And this morning is just part of that, just encouraging us on as disciple makers of Jesus Christ. And one of the things that I think it's important for me in this season to really work hard to do is encourage you because, as we talked about last week, this whole notion of becoming a disciple and also making other disciples can be very intimidating and overwhelming for us. It can feel like the work of some professional or some trained uh, Navy SEAL in the faith, and that's just not true. So, do you remember last week we looked at the Apostle Thomas and we saw that of all the 12, right? I mean, if you're going to find one of the ordinary, everyday apostles, it's going to be Thomas. I mean, he wasn't one of the big dogs like Peter, he wasn't like John or James who seemed to get this insider access to Jesus. Not only that, he doesn't match up to some of the apostles like the Apostle Paul who uh, wrote 12 of our books in the New Testament and planted all these churches all over the place. But the thing I love about Thomas was this. When he obeyed the Lord, he asked his questions. He wouldn't settle for easy answers. And after he had an encounter with the Lord and the Holy Spirit came and empowered him, he moves from this person who struggles with doubt, has all of these questions, into this man who literally travels to one of the most dangerous places in his time to go and take the good news of Jesus to people who have never heard, never one time heard the name of Jesus and because of that, there are still people today, 2,000 years later, who can trace their spiritual heritage back to Thomas. I just want to remind you, God wants to use you just like that. You're just If you feel like I'm just one of these average, everyday followers of Jesus, I want to say good news. The vast majority of people that we find in the Lord are just these average, everyday people. We look at the Bible, and we feel like Everyone is just this extraordinary character, and I want to say something to you. You have to take these characters stretched out over thousands of years, and God cherry picking these stories to show us how He moved among His people. But the vast majority of God's people were the people who lived with Him and walked with Him day out to honor Him and glorify Him, just like you and me. And I want to say something to you. You have what it takes to walk with Jesus, you have what it takes to know Jesus. You have what it takes to multiply Jesus into the next generation. You've got what it takes because as a believer in Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit of God that lives in you. Whether you've learned how to operate in His power or not, you do have Him present. And on top of that, you've got the Word of God in your own language. And I promise you, all of that is enough. That's enough. On top of that, you've got this amazing family of faith that you can gather with to worship, do ministry together. You have all that you need to be a disciple in Jesus and to make disciples. And I just want to cheer you on a little bit more this morning and I want to talk to you about the grace that God gives us to become disciples and make disciples. Grace is so critical to who we are and to what God wants to do through us. We have to make sure we return to it again and again. What's grace? Grace is real simple. It's God's undeserved favor poured out on you and me. It's His undeserved favor poured out on you and me. It's how we entered into relationship in the first place. You didn't deserve a relationship with the Lord. In fact, what you deserve was separation from God for all of eternity in hell. But as he revealed himself to us through the gospel, gave us a chance to know him, he poured out his love and grace on us. And if we respond to that in faith, then we can enter into that relationship, not because we're awesome or we're holy enough, but because God's grace is sufficient for you and me. His undeserved favor poured out on you and I. He applies it every time we sin. He applies it every time we stumble. Every time we turn away from Him, He applies His grace to us. And that's what we're going to see this morning. So in Matthew 28... Verses 18 through 20, I know you've heard this a hundred times, but believe me, this is such a bedrock passage for us as a church. We need to have it salted away and really burned into our core. Matthew 28:18 through20, Jesus said very simply, "All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, first command Jesus gives them after the resurrection. Go and make disciples. Of all nations, so as people are preached the gospel, they respond. What's the next step? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Hey, mark your calendar next uh, next Sunday, right after service. We're gonna obey this and baptize some people. Uh, One, if you have not been baptized and you'd like to be baptized, we've still got room in the pool. Okay, you can be baptized. Just talk with me about it. Uh, Come to our baptism class next Sunday morning at nine fifteen in the cafeteria. We got room for you, I promise. I want to encourage us as a church. Let's plan to leave right here, go over to the the Curls' house, gather around their pool, and celebrate. It's somewhere between like eight and twelve people who want to be baptized. Isn't that amazing to celebrate that? Praise God for that. We preach the gospel, people respond, we baptize them, and look what else. You teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. So as we've been commanded by Jesus to obey things in our life, we pass that on to others, teaching them how to obey. Now, I do want to make sure you understand that I understand that the central piece of discipleship is obedience. And that obedience can be an overwhelming thing to think about. When I think about God's call on my life to obey Him, that can just be a huge weight. Because here's what happens. He points out a, a, a something in my life through the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. And he says, Matt, listen, I want you to work on this. And that feels heavy enough, right? Because if I had that straightened away, I could do it on my own. Then he wouldn't need to point that out to me, right? But instead, I'm showing that and I feel now, how am I going to do it? And we can fall into the trap of trying to do it in our power, our energy. That's not the way to go. We depend on the Holy Spirit to work in us, and we depend on Jesus' grace to take us through that process. But here's the thing. When we obey in one area, it's like math class. It's like calculus. Or uh, geometry or whatever else. You learn one skill, right? And then you build on that, And then you build on that, and you build on that. Obedience is the same way. Jesus shows us one thing. We obey Him in that. We start to honor Him and be self-controlled in that area. And then He points out another area for us to grow in. Uh, We get that down, and He builds on that. And it can feel like, man, I'm constantly being challenged to obey. And guess what? You are. Uh, You are. That's Jesus' call in your life, to become more like Him in every area. But I want to say something to you. We don't have to be overwhelmed because God gives us His grace to facilitate our discipleship. His undeserved favor is poured out on us so that we can grow in our discipleship. And I want to show this to you. So I want you to turn to the right in your Bible to the book of John. If you've already in Matthew, keep turning to the right. Just a few pages. If you've got one of these cool blue Bibles in the pews, John chapter 1 is on page 1646, and you can flip there and follow along with me. We're going to look at John chapter 1 and read some verses out of chapter 1. We're so blessed to have these different accounts of these close followers of Jesus and their experience with Him. And this is what John tells us in his gospel That was uniquely John's. Listen listen to his perspective, what the Holy Spirit revealed to him. I want you to start in verses 1 and 2. It won't be on the screen, but I want you to start in verse 1 and 2. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Now I want you to skip down to verse 14, and look at how John builds on that. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We've seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Would you take your pen and just underline grace and truth. Jesus came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So important for us to get this. He did not come full of truth, but not grace. He did not come full of grace, but not truth. He came perfectly full of both grace and truth. And that means that as Jesus interacts at all times in the world, it is always completely full of grace and always completely full of truth and always at the same time. There is never a time that Jesus acts just in truth. There's never a time he acts just in grace. Jesus is full of grace and truth. Here's the problem. We don't always have that great mixture, right? You and I sometimes act on the side of truth. Sometimes we don't act very graceful. Jesus never had a moment in his life or throughout eternity that he was not full of grace and truth, which is really amazing for us because look at verse 16. Out of his fullness, what's the fullness we're talking about? That grace and truth, that combination of grace and truth. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace. Grace in place of grace already given. What a beautiful way to talk about the gifts that are poured out on us. Would you underline that? We have all received grace in place of grace already given. It's amazing. Now hold that because I want to read these last two verses. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Listen, God the Father would have been completely just, only to give us the law, only to show us what his standard was and to hold us accountable for that standard. He would have been completely righteous in doing that, but he chose to go beyond that. Not just to send the law through Moses, but to send grace and truth through Jesus Christ. Not just any man, but the God-man himself coming to live among us. God literally brought grace and truth into our world for us to experience it. That's how much our God loves us. That should tell you how much he wants relationship with you. He didn't just want you to know his standard, but then you'd be pushed away from him. He wants you to know his standard and then be able to walk in that in peace and righteousness through his grace. That's how much our God loves us. Verse 18, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only son who is himself God, and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Let me speak into you a little bit, especially if you're someone who's trying to investigate their faith, or you're trying to figure out what you believe. You're trying to understand what, what I believe about the Bible, what I believe about Jesus. Maybe, maybe you grew up in the South, and you've heard Jesus everywhere, and maybe this is the time where you're starting to investigate for yourself who is Jesus. Or maybe you've heard it growing up with your parents, and now you're starting to become an adult, and you want to own these things for yourself. I just want to challenge you, like I did last week. Jesus is not afraid of your questions. He's not afraid of the doubts you have. Bring them to Him. But I want to build on that a little bit this week, and I want to challenge you with this. Don't take other people's word for it. Don't take other people's word for who Jesus is. The reason nine times out of ten I give you sermon notes, other than the last three weeks, the reason I give you nine times out of ten sermon notes is because I don't want you to take my word for it. I I want you to listen to what I preach. I want you to go back and read the Word of God for yourself, and anything that lines up with the Word of God, you keep. You, you ingest, you grow in. Anything that doesn't, you just toss it because Matt Walton is not always right. And neither are you. It's just my job to be right more often than not right. I can't be like a weatherman who can still keep his job if he's only right 60% of the time. I'm called to be right all the time, but I'm not always right. So go to the Word. Test what I say by the Word. And not just that, if you're hunting What you believe. You're not sure who God is. You're not sure the truth about Jesus. I just want to challenge you. Go to the source and read it for yourself. Just read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. See what those men who encountered Jesus said about him. Don't let someone else tell you who Jesus was. You read about who Jesus was. You see what he did. You see what he said. You see who he loved and didn't love. You see Jesus for yourself because no one's known the Father. But Jesus in his grace has made him known. I want to return to this idea that out of the fullness of Jesus' grace and truth, that he has poured out on us grace after grace already given. Grace after grace already given. Here's how that works. As I'm walking out my life, I'm trying to live for Jesus. I'm going to blow it again and again and again, and so are you. And when I blow it, here's what Jesus does. He pours out his grace to cover that. And my sin is forgiven again. But you know what happens? Because I'm just like you. I fail again. And you know what he does? He says, no, I gave you grace last week. I'm sorry. I mean, there's nothing I can do about it. I mean, you only get 13 ounces of grace a month. And I'm sorry, you're at 18 ounces now. So I'm I'm sorry, you got five ounces over. And you have to wait until October to get your next lesson of grace. Now what he does, what does he do? When I sin, he pours out grace. When I sin again, grace after grace. Grace in place of grace already given. When he graces me, then I sin again. He graces me, and he sin again. He graces, and over and over again, Jesus, who is full of grace, pours it out into my cup again and again and again. That's a powerful, loving God, Right? A God who gives me everything I need to maintain and sustain my relationship with Him. If it was up to my efforts and just your efforts, you would never walk with Jesus. You wouldn't because you try and you blow it and then you try and blow it and eventually you give up. But praise God, it's not just up to you. It's not about your resources or how smart you are or self-controlled you are. It's not about you. He gives you the Holy Spirit to indwell you and then he pours out grace on you again and again and again so that you can become like him and you can grow and you can become a follower of him, a disciple of Christ. Now I want you to see Paul's experience here. So I want you to turn to the right in your Bible, okay, off of John. I want you to turn to the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 12 specifically. 2 Corinthians, in the blue Bible, that's on page 1804, if you want to flip there. Page 1804, 2 Corinthians, chapter 12. love to hear those pages rattle. Flip with me, I love it. 2 Corinthians, chapter 12. Paul was this amazing man of God who up until Jesus got a hold of his life was an absolute scallywag. He was trying to destroy the things of God. He was trying to absolutely tear down everything that God's people were building. He was seeing them arrested. He was even putting some of them to death. But Jesus meets him in encounter on the road to Damascus. He sees Jesus for the first time. And when Jesus got a hold of Paul's life and he experienced grace for the first time, it radically changed Paul. And he began to set out all over the world to plant churches and to bring people into a discipling relationship with the Lord Jesus. And the Lord used him powerfully. But you know, Paul, even as a man who walked with the Lord, who knew the Lord, who was full of the Holy Spirit, who God used powerfully, one of those kind of highfalutin, not everyday ordinaries like you and I, one of those real powerful guys that Jesus uses, even someone like Paul, wrestled with his sin and his brokenness all the time. It haunted him. He talks about his weakness. He talks about being tempted. You should read Romans chapter 7 and see what Paul says about his own struggles with sin. He says, listen, the things I want to do, I can't do. The things I end up doing are the things I don't want to do. And I find that sin is at work, and, when, and he, even when I try to do good, sin is at work in me. He wrestled with that. And as he engaged with his own weakness, I want you to see the conclusion he had come to and how God's grace had allowed him to continue to pursue God in his discipleship. Second Corinthians chapter 12, down to verse 9. This is what Paul says of his own testimony. But he said to me, that's Jesus, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So when Paul looked at his weakness, he looked at his struggles, he looked at his sin, and he went to Jesus over and over again. This is Jesus' response. Paul, in everything you were deficient, my grace is sufficient for you. In other words, there is grace upon grace upon grace already given. You're never going to use up your monthly allotment. You're never going to punch the wrong card. Listen, grace is going to be poured out for you again and again and again. And then look at Paul's response. Therefore, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. I'll boast about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. I want to say something to us. Most of us do not like other people to see our weaknesses. You don't like it. I mean, you you struggle to let other people see your flaws. Dads, I know in your household that you struggle with this. You struggle to ever make a mistake in your household or let your kids see that you have feet of clay and that you can make mistakes because you're worried is that going to hinder or undermine your authority or your ability to speak into them or lead them? I want to say something to you. You're broken, you're going to make mistakes, and they know it anyway. They know it anyway. They're not intimidated by your weakness. In fact, seeing your weakness and you continue to walk with Jesus makes them feel okay about their weaknesses and their ability to continue to walk with Jesus. But when they never see your brokenness, they never see you admit a mistake or ask for forgiveness when you do something wrong, then they feel like they have to be perfect before the Lord. And you and I know that that's not true. You can't model that for them. We don't like in our workplace to show any level of weakness because we're afraid if someone sees a mistake on my part that they're going to pass me over for a promotion. Or maybe we've been in a place where we've been uh, marginalized or we've been overlooked so we feel like we have to overcompensate for that and be the most put-together person in the room or someone's going to take advantage of that. Listen, I understand the fear that comes with that, but we cannot be afraid for our weaknesses to be shown. We cannot be afraid of that. Here's why. Paul says that weakness is what invites the power of God into our life. It's what invites the power of God into our life. Here's a, a good verse for you to check out. And This didn't go in the notes either. You're going to have to write this one down. First Corinthians. You don't have to flip there. I'm going to quote it to you, but go write this down. First Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20. This same Paul said in a different discussion about the kingdom of God. Here's what he said. The kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. It's not a matter of talk. It's not about how eloquent you are or how many books you can write. It's not a matter of talk. It's a matter of power. Is there real powerful life change in your life? Is God working through you to bring powerful life change in the world? It's not a matter of talk, but of power. The same one who said the kingdom is not about talk, but of power, said the key to power in our walk with the Lord is what? Weakness. It's weakness. Admitting our Weakness. So look at what he says. He says, That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul said, I delight in that. And what was the power that allowed him to continue to pursue Jesus Even when he failed again and again and was a man of weakness, it was God's grace. Grace after grace after grace already given. The grace of Jesus empowered Paul to embrace his weaknesses, and so he was flooded with the power of God. Now, don't make a mistake. Don't make a mistake. Here's what Paul's not saying Paul isn't saying, you know what? If God's power is made manifest in my weakness, and if He's going to pour out His grace on my sin again and again, I think I just need to live any way I want to. Because if I keep sinning, then I'm going to have more power in my life, and I'm going to have more grace poured out of my life again and again. And uh, that's not what Paul's saying. And I want to prove it to you. You ready? I want to prove it. I want you to flip, keep going to the right in your Bible, to the book of Titus. Titus was written... To one of his young disciples that Paul had handcrafted himself, Titus chapter 2. If you got a blue Bible, it's on page 1856. Paul said the key to power is weakness. But Paul would never embrace living a sinful life on purpose so that God's grace could be poured out on us and therefore his power. I'll prove it to you. If our understanding of God's grace is that it empowers us to sin, we don't understand God's grace. I'm going to say that again. If our understanding of grace is that it empowers us to sin, we don't understand God's grace. I'll prove it to you. Titus chapter 2, verse 11 through 14. Get your pen ready, because I want you to underline a few things in this paragraph. Titus 2. Verse 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. Would you underline that? It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives In the present age, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of our glory, uh, appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Underline the last part of verse 14. The grace of Jesus produces people who are eager to do what is good. So by Paul's own mouth, if we would say grace is a means by which we can continue to sin, then we don't understand grace. Paul says that grace does two things for us. First is this, grace becomes the means by which we learn to obey. It is the means by which we learn to obey. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. Grace teaches us to be holy. How does that work? Here's how. Stay with me, because I'm going to lay this out. You ready? Then you can drop the dominoes and they can all fall in place. Grace is what brings us into relationship with Jesus. You with me? Grace covers our sin when we're in relationship with Jesus. That allows us to grow deeper in our relationship with Jesus. The more we know Him, the more we will become like Him. The more we become like Him, the more we will understand what He loves and what He likes. And just like every significant relationship in your life that you've invested in, the more you invest in that relationship, the more you love that person. It's the same with Jesus. The more he pours out his grace and forgives our sin, the more it enables us to develop relationship with him, the deeper our relationship is, the more we will love him. And when you love someone, you will want to do right by them. You will want to do right by them. I love my wife. And so it was nothing to go into our kitchen yesterday and to take the dishes and to put them in the dishwasher. That was nothing. She had already vacuumed and taken care of dogs and kids and all other manner of things that had to take place on a Saturday. Now, I could have watched football, and I could have uh, just laid on my bed and done that, but it was nothing to go do that. Here's why. I love my wife. It's nothing to help her out with that. It's not, well, well, you know, it's going to get done. No, it'll probably get done. But I love her. Husbands, um, if you want to uh, get over your pornography addiction, let me give you some practical advice. Build your relationship with your wife. Focus on her. Serve her. Spend more time with her. Talk with her. Listen to her. You know why that will help you break that addiction? Because when you become passionately in love with your wife, you will not want to bring into your mind, into your body, into your house, what wounds her, what tears down her self-confidence, and what makes her feel less. Now I know that that sounds like an easy thing to do. It's not. Rebuilding and developing the intimacy with your wife is a hard, hard thing. For some of you teenagers, you're walking with Jesus... But one of the biggest stumbling blocks for you is the way you interact with your parents. And you want to grow in your faith, but honestly, you and your parents keep butting heads over things. I want to challenge you. Start investing in your parents instead of expecting them to invest in you all the time. Why don't you get up early enough that you can eat breakfast with your dad and just talk to him about his day? Why not, instead of going into your room at 6.30 once dinner's over and staying there until whenever, until they can see you in the next morning— How about stay out of your room, invest in your mom, and just talk about what's going on with her? How about wash dishes with her and help put him away so you've got 30 minutes just to see what her life is like? Because here's why. When you invest in your family, a better chance that you will grow in your love for your family. And when you love people, you will respect them more. Love is always the key to obedience. It's always the key to obedience. Grace is teaches us to say no, because it teaches us to say yes to loving Jesus and Him loving us. Grace shows us His love. And when we love Him, then we begin to want what He wants. Grace is the means of obedience to us. Next thing is this, I want you to see, grace also develops our eagerness to obey. It develops our eagerness to obey. What an interesting thing that Paul drops in there, that Jesus not only saves people, but he purifies them so that they will be eager to obey. For much of my life, I want to say this to you, obedience is not something I've been eager to do. And you know why? Because obedience for most of my life has been Matt trying to use his own power and abilities to do what God says. But when I started to wake up to the idea of God's grace being poured out on me, and allowing the Holy Spirit's power in me to live his life through me, then obedience began to become a thing of eagerness where I wanted to change. I wanted to give Jesus more of my life because he's worth it. He's loved me so much, he's given me so much, he does so much for me and through me. It's a blessing to give my life to him. That's what grace does for us. It is this crazy cycle. It's this crazy cycle. Jesus calls us to obedience. He knows we're going to blow it. So he pours out grace, which teaches us to love him, which allows us to obey him. Then we blow it again, and he gives us more grace after grace already given. Grace and grace and grace, which lets us love him more, obey him more, become more like him. And if we're going to become followers of Jesus, we have to know the one we're following. We have to know him. And grace is the means by which he does it. Listen. Listen. You can do this. You you can grow in your faith. You, You can obey. You can change. It can happen. You can be a different person in a month than you are today. You could be a different person in a year than you are today. You can look back on your life in five years and think to yourself, I can't believe I used to live like that. Change is real. I I can introduce you to people in this congregation who have radically changed in just a matter of months and years. Change is real. I've seen marriages repaired. I've seen pornography addictions broken. I've seen people be free in this congregation. I can introduce them to you. It comes by grace. Not by more of your effort. So I want to say something to you. If you feel like the enemy is just throwing sin in your face again and again, you feel like I'll never change, just do me a favor. Stop focusing on your sin and start looking at Jesus. Open your Bible and read about who Jesus was. What he Did what he says about you and me. Focus on that. Go to him in prayer. Find some worship music. Worship him. Stop focusing on your sin and start focusing on your Savior. And here's what you'll find. He'll start taking care of your sin and taking the taste out of your mouth because Scripture says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And when you taste and you find he's good, it will lose your taste for other things. Just focus on Jesus. His grace will cover your sin. It'll cover your sin. Our praise team is going to come and we're going to have a chance to worship and respond to what we've heard because maybe you've never understood for the first time that my God is not just a holy God who offers truth and a standard for me, but actually gives me the grace to obey Him and fulfill that standard. Maybe that's a revelation for you this morning. I pray that the Holy Spirit burns that into your heart. Maybe all you've ever known of God was this rule keeper, and you thought, I'll never live up to that, and so you've just pushed away from God. I want you to see him as this one who has his arms out to you and is saying, come, I can change anything. I can change you. Well, we have to come to him. This is a chance for us to respond so our elders and their wives, they'll spread themselves around the sanctuary and you can go and pray with them. You can meet with them. I'll be right here if you want to talk about any of those things. But you can be different today. You can be different when you leave this room because of the grace that is offered to you and me. So let's stand and respond to the Lord.